The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Tonight's shapeshifter is qualified in several things. He's a firefighter. He's a helicopter pilot. He's a medical doctor. He's a chief executive. Most specifically, chief executive of Discovery Health. Dr. Ryan Noach is with us. Of all of those, where did firefighting fit in? Ryan, you, uh, uh, firefighting may be a skill, but speaking of so's uh, microphone not working is also another one. Let's try again. Uh, can you hear me? There Have we you go. Got me clearly? Yep, you, clearly. Where did firefighting fit in? Uh, well, it's actually a real passion still to this day. And uh, g- given another opportunity, I would do it all over again. <laughs> How did it start? How did you get into firefighting? Actually, Bruce, it uh, goes back to my childhood when my uh, my dad was a, a volunteer in the emergency services. And when people used to say to me, what do you want to be when you're big? I would say a fireman and nobody took me seriously, but I was quite serious about it. And uh, I got involved in the emergency services as a volunteer and ended up rising through the ranks and did a series of courses. And it was uh, something that has been a very important part of my life. And uh, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie and uh, and got some self-satisfaction while doing good out of that. But I mean, you, you say you rose through the ranks, but you actually got to the rank of station officer, which is like you know, in charge of a whole fire station. That's a significant achievement, isn't it, as a, as a part-timer? Yes, I, it, it was a significant achievement. I, I was in the reserve unit, which is different to the permanent force team. Sure. Um, and they're an amazing bunch of people that I've got great respect for. So... Um, a, a real highlight of my career, actually. But I mean, you used to watch the the destruction of the 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 capability of fire services across the country with with a huge amount of dismay on that basis. I mean, somebody like a Roy Anderson, for example, the former CEO of the JSE and of Liberty, um, became the highest ranking um, the highest ranking military officer, a civilian military officer in the. In, in the army, and you'd say to him, Roy, don't you, don't you despair about the army and always defend the army, but surely you must look at the destruction of fire services so bad that Discovery's actually had to step in and buy blue fire engines um, to, to help bridge the gap. It's, it, there's a travesty at play in our fire services. Yeah, there are unfortunately patches of the municipal service that have deteriorated. Um, there are still patches of some excellent services. And I understand that the fire department in Chwani is still delivering an excellent service. Uh, but there are areas where the service delivery is concerning. And, uh, you know, we want to be part of a solution and be committed to to solving these problems, mm. not dwelling on the difficulties. No, absolutely. Um, so have you, have you actually gone and put out fires? I mean, go put on like the helmet and the heavy jacket and the boots and the, the thick cotton gear, which is makes you overheat at the best of times and gone in with an axe and bashed down a door and held the fire hose to the flames. Have you done that yourself? <laughs> yes, I've done that myself. I would say not in the last 25 years. No, but no, certainly prior to that, I, I did that myself and, uh, and, uh, you know, was involved in a couple of serious residential flyers and a few uh, structural fires in building properties that were pretty frightening. Um, and it does build some character running into a burning building when everybody else is coming out. No, absolutely. Uh, the, the the pilot thing. I mean, I've I've seen uh, the models of aircraft and the helicopters uh, in the background of your Zoom calls, for example. Um, how did that start out? Was that part of the same sort of volunteer process? 
No, um, I was I was involved as a flight doctor in the Johannesburg's uh, emergency helicopter service, and uh, my involvement extended to a range of emergency medical helicopter services. I was privileged enough to fly with an overseas service as a visiting doctor, and uh, I've always just had a real fascination with helicopters and a love for helicopters. The smell of the Jet A1 and the sound of the engine starting to this day gets my heart rate racing and does something inside my gut that's difficult to explain, turns into a knot. So uh, as soon as I had the resources and time and ability, I learned to fly myself, and that's a more recent development for me. And uh, it's a real passion and something that, uh, that I love doing. Um, and I find it helps me detach from absolutely everything. It's a uh, you know, intense concentration on something totally different and a skill I really enjoy. Uh, at what point do you sort of, you, you are a medical director, you uh, you actually ended up running NetCare 911 for a bit as well. Uh, this this is an interesting path. I mean, it, it, it's the sort of an emergency response part, I suppose, of the, the adrenaline junkie in you. Well, linked to my uh, involvement in the fire service that we chatted about, I was involved in the ambulance services at the same time, um, mostly through the Santon Fire Department, which was Station 15 um, in those days. And, uh, you, you know, I became, as I qualified as a doctor, became more seriously involved in the emergency services. Uh, and I was privileged to lead NIC 911 as the CEO for a period of time. Uh, it's a really sophisticated, brilliant emergency service still to this day, providing very high quality of care, um, comparable to emergency services anywhere in the world, as good, if not better. So uh, it was a great privilege to be involved there. I loved my pre-hospital time and experience, and I spent a lot of time working on the road and in aircraft, uh, you know, in the pre-hospital space. Yeah, and they, I mean, you rose through the ranks within NetCare, of course. You became Chief Operating Officer at NetCare. But somewhere in that process, uh, you come across a guy called Adrian Gore, who's at Discovery. How did that relationship begin? Actually, my first, well, my, my real engagement with Discovery began through a guy called Neville Kupowitz. Oh, yeah. I think you know Bruce. He's the yep. CEO of our business in the United Kingdom now. Yep. He leads Vitality Health and Vitality Life in the UK. Um, and Neville was the counterpart with whom we were negotiating tariffs. There was historically quite a tough relationship between NetCare and Discovery. Um, and it was so strained at a point in time. I remember clearly we couldn't meet in each other's offices for this very difficult tariff negotiation. And so we agreed to meet halfway in between. Uh, I mean, in we could see their offices a, from our it, building at NetCare. <laughs> In a public place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we met uh, We met halfway in between. We walked there and they walked there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Johnny Brumberg and Neville were representing Discovery. And I, I was there with a colleague representing NetCare. And through those very difficult negotiations, I formed a very strong relationship with both Neville and Johnny. Um, two guys that I have enormous respect for who have played a very big part in my, my life and my career. And, um, and, you know, once I'd left NetCare, um, they both worked quite hard on sustaining the relationship, and I invested in that relationship. I was pretty reluctant to go back to a corporate, to be honest, kind of promised myself I'd do my own thing. But after some pressure, I uh, landed up consulting to Discovery for a while, 
and then that turned into a full-time engagement and uh, I'm really delighted that it did. It's been a, just a, a fabulous period for me. If you hadn't gone to Discovery, what would you have done? I mean, what was the idea of doing, doing your own thing? I had a range of startup businesses and uh, I think to give credit to Adrian as the founder of Discovery, him and Barry, you know, the amazing thing is how they've scaled Discovery into such a massive business from being a small startup idea initially. So my startups that I was involved in, uh, some of them still work today and are still around. None of them have achieved anywhere near the kind of scale and success of Discovery. And so I would have pursued those startup opportunities. To be honest with you, I feel like an entrepreneur and still in my role today, I feel strongly like an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm, I've got a strong leaning towards being creative and entrepreneurial, taking very well calculated risk, um, seeking a disruptive opportunity and investing. And that's, I think, part of how I fell in love with discovery. That gives you a real opportunity to do that. No, but I was about to say, I mean, that that is in, the, in from what I know of discovery, uh, in a discovery sweet spot. It's a case of like, okay, here's Discovery Health. You run it. I mean, obviously, there are checks and balances and everything else. They don't want you, um, you know, uh, taking holiday, uh, helicopter trips uh, to every single emergency in Joburg. You know, you can't be doing that all the time. But they they, they want a, a sensible risk-based approach to, to growing a business. Yes, well, the group is run with a very clear core purpose. And absolutely everything we do within the group, you know, must be linked to the core purpose of enhancing and protecting our customers' lives. And it's built around this shared value principle, which you and I have discussed previously. Such a simple concept, rather than just being the insurer that deals with the fallout once somebody's risks materialize, rather be the insurer to help them prevent those risks, get them to drive safely get them to live healthier lives, and as a result, have much lower insurance claims, health, life, and short-term. And so, you know, the, the strategy is very clear, very centrally um, determined, and, uh, you know, all the business units are quite aligned. Operationally, the businesses are actually quite federated. Um, and so you're right in the respect, uh, as a, you know, we're a federated business unit within the group, and we do have the ability to make our own decisions but I would be stupid to be doing that without the support of the people around me. We've got the smartest, most inspiring people. And so I you know, make every effort uh, together with the team to have consensus, to make joint decisions, uh, and to take the big decisions certainly absolutely together and in an aligned way. Uh, I see commentary from you, and I hear this a lot. The first time I ever heard it expressed was from Michael Jordan when he was um, not wanting to claim the credit for the success of FNB. And he was, you know, one of his, his classic lines is, when we're successful, it's a team effort. When it's a disaster, it's my fault. Um, and, uh, I, you know, Robbie Brosen talks like this and Adrian talks like this. And, and, and I've heard various people say, you know what I like to do? I like to surround myself with people smarter than me. And you go, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a nice line. That's how you come across as being all warm and no. fuzzy. But do Sorry, you really? Bruce. Sorry to call you. you know, I've got to call you out here. Um, it may sound like a cliche, but it's really not. It's really not a cliche. Um, I, I have built an outstanding executive team at Discovery Health. And in each person's particular field, they are far more knowledgeable and capable than I am, without a doubt. 
And I say that, you know, not trying to sound sufficiently humble and modest at all. That's completely honest. Um, so these guys and, and women around me are, are real experts in their fields. And I'm totally convinced that the business would not be in as strong a position as it is today, if not for the team. It's interesting what you were saying about Michael, your Don's comment. I couldn't agree more with him, a luminary in business um, in here in South Africa. You know, that when things go well, uh, it is the collective responsibility to, to really bask in that glory. I'm the very first to step up when something goes wrong, and I think that is a leader's responsibility. One, one must then stand at point and take the full culpability for that. Unfortunately, the stuff that's gone wrong in our business has been, you know, on the smaller side. And so that's been manageable. Yeah. No, and, it, and I suppose, I mean, the better team you have around you, provided that you're sufficiently confident in your own abilities, and this is why it works in corporate, perhaps, and not in politics, but um, is your job becomes easier because you surround yourself with brilliant people, um, one of whom you hope will replace you one day as you replace someone above you or choose to move on to go and do that independent thing one day, whatever it is. But you want to be able to move on. You want to be able to proceed. You want to be able to get promoted yourself and you can't get promoted until you've got a successor so having smart people around you is ideal and i often say to my team that uh, in some respects please surprise me surprise me with creativity and disruptive thought and ideas that i or the rest of the team would never have thought of um, in the other respect never surprise me I, you know never surprise me with bad news let me know the bad news well in advance the good news can be a great surprise the bad news should be expected considered mitigated and understood long in advance and i have an understanding a contract with my team around that too to seek creative surprises and you know always to be forewarned around bad news how do you build that culture? Because in a lot of cultures, people are terrified of delivering bad news up the chain because most cultures, I think, are fairly punitive in terms of um, punishing bad news rather than rewarding the messenger. Uh, our culture at Discovery is really the opposite of punitive. It is, a, it is a, a, a culture which rewards positive performance and is very incentive-oriented. And actually, the top performers in discovery just become like, you know, uh, the honey to the bees. They tend to attract the exciting projects. It's a non-hierarchical culture. And so they do tend to engage with people at all levels in the business. Um, the, the people who are, you know, lesser good performers, in a way, naturally almost get sidelined from some of the exciting projects. It's a non-punitive environment. When something goes wrong, there is a time, of course, to take action um, and to be stern about it. I think one has to be an iron hand with, in a velvet glove um, and do that with fairness and transparency, be consistent at all times and be quite deliberate in the thought and the process. Um, and certainly, you know, we do have things go wrong. Um, all, all large enterprises do. Uh, and we try and deal with those with a learning mindset. We call ourselves a learning organization just to make sure it doesn't recur. You know, if it's recurring regularly, then we're doing something terribly wrong as a leadership team. 
There are things that you can control, the things you can't control. You can't control the regulatory environment. You can't control the legislative environment. You can certainly try to influence it. And again, we see the specter of NHI looming large. We saw some commentary uh, this week that you know South Africa's health system is is doomed unless NHI is implemented. And I I, I wonder what your perspective is on sort of the latest noise around NHI, which, if it is implemented in its current form, I think is fiscally dangerous. Uh, And, you know, there's no sort of sense of proportion out of government in terms of a staggered approach, a a view to gradual implementation. It's a bit like, I'm going to drive a Rolls-Royce and I'd like a Rolls-Royce tomorrow. Let's make it happen. Go, go, go. I'm not too sure that we're being realistic about our, our, our goals when it comes to NHI. And healthcare is inordinately complex and is expensive in every country in the world that you go to. In the U.S., healthcare now represents $1 out of every $5. So 20% of GDP uh, is now spent on healthcare in the U.S. And I'm sure you've heard that famous adage that it costs the Ford Motor Company more to look after the healthcare of the employees than it does for the parts that go into building a particular car. Um, it really is, you know, massively expensive wherever you go. We haven't seen a financing bill linked to the Department of Health's draft NHI bill yet. And in fact, the Minister of Finance was passing commentary on it in Parliament a couple of weeks ago yeah. and said that the, the Treasury hasn't finalized the work. Um, the budget for NHI is not fully understood. The benefits have not been fully costed yet. Our understanding of what's being proposed is that it would be quite expensive for the country. And we do worry about the fiscal headroom around that. Uh, And we would love to see this formal work done. Uh, We would like to be part of the conversation. We've got a good understanding of healthcare financing and we'd like to contribute meaningfully. I think, Bruce, you, you, you know, my perspective is that we could definitely do better for all South Africans with the healthcare in South Africa, without a question. We've got a problem around access and equity. And, um, you know, there are structural issues in both the private and the public healthcare system that need to be simultaneously addressed. So we're calling for simultaneous regulatory change around both public and private. And we think the two sectors can work much closer together to provide the South African public with a better deal, ultimately. We've been quite constructive. We've put suggestions and models forward in a very detailed paper, and we hope that we can get into some conversations around those. Uh, Do you find a receptive audience when you put these complex papers together? Look, perhaps it's a a factor of where we are in the process at the moment, um, because, you know, the the parliament hasn't yet sat and deliberated the draft bill, uh, but we haven't had a terribly receptive audience to date. Uh, there has been a process of public comments, comments that have been received. We submitted a 360-page document. I presented personally to the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee with some of my colleagues. Um, and, you know, we raised our concerns and thoughts and suggestions. And we really do look forward to an engagement uh, wherein we can have meaningful debate around some of these models we've put on the table. And as we look into 2023 and we look at a market in South Africa where discovery is by far the biggest gorilla in the room, 
Um, how do you see things playing out as far as your business is concerned anyway in 2023? I'm very optimistic. Um, in amongst all the noise that we're hearing, I, I really do feel incredibly optimistic, notwithstanding the realities of some of the difficulties we face. And I'm certainly no ostrich with my head in, my, in the sand. You know, there are difficulties indeed. I think there is quite a lot also that has been achieved um, that gives me hope and gives me some comfort. And I can tell you from a private healthcare perspective in South Africa, uh, we have one of the best healthcare systems in the world. If you measure the private healthcare delivered in South Africa on a value for money basis, and when we talk about value for money in healthcare, it's really the cost you pay for one unit of quality that's delivered, cost per quality. We compare up there with the best in the world. The reality is it's not accessible to enough South Africans. Yeah. And there is a disparity in the care that South Africans receive. And I tell you, as a doctor and uh, fundamentally somebody who followed a humanitarian career, I, I absolutely have a problem with that on a personal level. And discovery certainly doesn't want to be part of that. We want to be part of a solution that's far more broadly acceptable and that delivers fairness. And so we, we really do look forward to an opportunity that we can achieve that. We've got a lot to offer and we're ready to collaborate. Dr. Ryan Noach, Chief Executive at Discovery Health.